www.voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good morning on the West Coast and good afternoon on the East Coast. Welcome to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. I'm always honored and privileged to do this program because Voice America believes that information is power, the Internet is the future, and the future is now, and so do I. And Positive Living is all about practical strategies and positive solutions and turning obstacles into opportunities and having understanding and peace and love and light in your life, and today is certainly no exception to that. I have on a show that's actually quite dear to my heart, and I have three women on my program today. We are talking about the book, the best-selling book, The Faith Club, A Muslim, A Christian, A Jew, Three Women's Search for Understanding. And I'm very fortunate to have all three authors on today, Suzanne Oliver, Priscilla Warner, and Rania Idlibi. Is that right, Rania? That's right. Well, wonderful. Thank you all for coming on. Hello, Suzanne. Hello. Hi. We didn't get to talk before the break, but we certainly will during the next break. And, folks, this is a delight because what we're talking about is creating mutual understanding through differences, knowing that we are all, we are all one in many ways, and we also have differences. And this is a fascinating account which shows how women confront and work through age-old differences among their religions. Rania Idlibi is a Palestinian Muslim. Susan Oliver, an ex-Catholic now in the Episcopal Church, and Priscilla Warner, a Reformed Jew. And we are talking today about their wonderful memoir, The Faith Club. Welcome, all three ladies. And I'll just keep, because I've got three of you, I'll just keep talking to each one. Okay. Let's start, Suzanne, with you and how this book came about. Um, well, it came out of uh, Rania's idea. Actually, it's a, she's a good person to start with, but she can tell you about Okay, but Rania, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, the, the book came about um, directly out of the events of 9-11. As a, as a Muslim mother, I, I was deeply concerned. I was isolated and alienated from the dominant voice of Islam. I worried about my children be, being both American and Muslim. And I knew one thing, that Islam felt more like a burden than a privilege in America. Uh, after the events of 9-11, and I, I needed them to be proud. And with that challenge in, in mind, I hit the books, and it doesn't take me long to reconnect with the universal truth within Islam, the fact that Muslims believe in the Gospels and the Torah, the fact that they end their prayers five times a day with salutations of peace to Abraham and Moses and Jesus, his descendants, and the Prophet Muhammad, the fact that Muslims don't believe that Islam is a new religion, but rather the third of the first two being mm-hmm. Judaism and Christianity. And you incorporate all of the religions in your prayers. Yes, absolutely. Now, always. how did, Suzanne, how did you and Rania meet? I know you met before uh, Priscilla met. I met Rania at the school bus stop, and our daughters started kindergarten together the week of September 11th. Um, and uh, so like a lot of uh, New Yorkers and Americans at the time, I was really interested in finding out more about Islam in the Middle East, and once I learned that Rania was a Muslim of Palestinian descent who had studied Middle Eastern politics. I was interested to hear her opinions on world events, Mm -hmm. and over time she um, revealed her idea, and I really uh, thought her project sounded like a terrific one. And how did you decide to incorporate a Jewish woman? Rania? Yeah, I had always thought that, um, you know, um, when, I rec- when I reconnected with these, what I, with Islam as a religion, I felt that uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to do a project with a Jewish and a Christian mother to help highlight the commonalities. And so that was the thought that we'd, we'd do something together as a Jewish, Christian, Muslim mothers. When I met Rania, she had actually already invited another Christian into the project, but I was so excited to spread this message of connection um, that I told her to cancel that other Christian and I could find a Jew. And right. so I got and, and Speaking of that, Priscilla Warner, tell us how you got involved and how did you feel about you know, being in the living room with the Christian woman and the Islam woman, Muslim woman? Uh, well, what happened was Suzanne was at a cookie decorating party, I think, for Chris, around Christmas time, and she asked a Jewish woman if she knew any Jewish women who wrote children's books, and the woman gave her my name. So I was at home, and I got a phone call from a stranger uh, named Suzanne Oliver asking me if I'd like to get together for this project, and I said, sure. I was at the time just 
really pretty paralyzed with fear after 9-11, and I figured the rest of the world was screaming about religion. Maybe if I sat down quietly with these two other women, uh, something good would come of it for me and for my children, and I didn't realize it would be maybe screaming. Uh, in the beginning, weren't you going to collaborate on a children's book? Yes. Yes, that's right. But then it didn't take long for, ironically, the Jewish and the Christian mother to have their conflict. And um, we thought, well, you know, if we are to be teachers or mentors for our children, we probably need to figure out and um, our own to have our own personal growth and to get into those difficult questions that were uh, creating the tension, primarily in the beginning between Suzanne and Priscilla. You know, there were. I mean, in the book, there were arguments and hurt feelings and tensions and difficult moments, but. And so many issues, issues that often have been misunderstood through the years. And the question is, how did you transcend that? What was the point at which you all said, aha, we can get through this and we will form a bigger bond? Priscilla. Um, I would say the first confrontation was about, we called it the crucifixion crisis, where I felt yes. that Suzanne, when she was telling the story of Jesus, I my radar went up, sort of my anti-Semitic radar, and I yeah. thought that she was maybe blaming the Jews for Jesus's crucifixion. And I asked her if she'd heard the term Christ killer, okay. and she said that <clears throat> she hadn't heard it, and that made me skeptical. Um, and I guess with Rania, the breakthrough point was we have a chapter called Rania's Madrasa, where she really educated um, us about Islam, but. For me and Rania, the the um, turning point was when we were able to sit down and have a conversation about the Arab-Israeli conflict and um, Palestinians and Jews and what American Jews, um, what what my involvement as an, Amer- an American Jew um, was. I wanted to run away from it, and I wanted to just, as I said, you know, go under the covers and worry about Britney Spears. But yeah. because I was already engaged with her as a human being, that was no longer an option. Suzanne, was it less difficult for you with three or just as difficult in terms of the religious differences? Uh, less difficult with three versus, versus with, two people? With, uh, dealing with Judaism and Muslim or Islam um, than it might have been between Rania and Suzanne. Well, Rania and Priscilla, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I gained very much from learning about each of their religions. Um, and the difficulties that we had, it was nice to have a third person sometimes um, in the arguments that we have, someone you could uh, sound off of. Um, so I think three was three was a good number. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, when you first came into this, um, you were more, what I read, Rania, were more, you know, defense of the Palestinian cause, and Suzanne, you were vacillating between faith and doubt, and Priscilla, you were trying to struggle, uh, you know, acknowledging God's existence. Did you, do you think that through your interactions over the years that this changed, and that you came to resolution with this? Yeah, I, mean, I like to say that I came to the Faith Club having faith, uh, knowing this that this is Rania. Yes, this is Rania, and that I wasn't sure that uh, within Islam, within the religion of Islam, uh, there were the tenets, and within the scriptures, that uh, there was a support for the idea of the universal God, and boy, was I surprised. So today I speak as a more confident and affirmed Muslim, so I have had such growth because of my often difficult um, dialogue with a Jewish and a Christian mother. I have a new awareness and a new um, more confident understanding of what Islam is, and, and, and I am today more confident, a more confident, comfortable Muslim, yes. How do you feel about that as a Jew, Priscilla? Um, well, I really, you know, I had religious training, but I wasn't sure after September 11th if God existed. Mm-hmm. And the God that I had prayed to all my life as a child, as a Jewish child, having come to a Hebrew day school, I think was sort of a, um, a almost a stern, judgmental, very powerful um, God. And mm-hmm. after 9-11, um, I thought, you know, that omnipotent God didn't seem to exist anymore. The world seemed to be in chaos, and after many, many, many hours of soul-searching and conversations um, with these two women who really engaged me and asked me and probed deeply into what my doubts and fears were, I was able to really come out with a definition of God that I live with every day now. Mm. Suzanne, your comments on that? I guess the irony for me of my experience was that my conversations with a Muslim and a Jew really led me to a new understanding of my own Christian faith as I had to go back and, and 
think about concepts like salvation and resurrection and heaven and the divinity of Jesus. And um, things that I had taken for granted uh, come to a new, be able to explain them and understand the way I felt about them. Um, so I think it, I, through that there was a lot of doubt that got stirred up. And yes, it was really uncomfortable at first, but eventually I came to embrace my doubt and it allowed me to question and really grow through the process. Mm. All right, now that note, we're going to take a break. My guests today are Suzanne Oliver, Priscilla Warner, and Rania Idlibi, who are the authors of The Faith Club, A Muslim, A Christian, A Jew, Three Women's Search for Understanding. And what this book has spurred across the country and across the world are other faith club groups. And if you want to start a faith club, you can go onto their website, thefaithclub.com. You're listening to Positive Living. If you'd like to call, if you're listening live today on September 10th, uh, you can call us at 866-472-5788. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with each Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. You can call us 866-472-5788 if you're listening September 10th live. Um, Before I introduce this fabulous program, just want to tell you about a wonderful sponsor that I have, and I only endorse what I believe in, Jane Iredell's Mineral Makeup. It's made from the Earth's Minerals, and the makeup is amazing, feels weightless. I wear it, and people tell me my skin looks really wonderful because my clogs, my pores aren't clogged, and the minerals are just to really lay on the skin beautifully. There are no dyes or preservatives, and it's a foundation, concealer, powder, and sunscreen all in one, and recommended by plastic surgeon and dermatologist, and you can call Michelle Fenske at 678-472-3866, or email me, Patricia at RaskinResources.com, and I will lead you to her email, RaskinResources.com. Wonderful product. All right, I have a great show. My guests are the three authors of The Faith Club, A Muslim, A Christian, A Jew, Three Women's Search for Understanding. 
And my guests are Suzanne Oliver, Priscilla Warner, and Rania Idlibby. Welcome back, all three. Hi. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you all, I usually don't share this on the air. I have two shows. I have one on terrestrial radio and this show's on the Internet. But I am going to share this, a little bit of a personal story, because I really related so well to this book. I am Jewish, and I live in a, a Christian community, and there are very few Jews, and there are fewer Palestinians. But one of the folks, one of the couples here, a beautiful family in our community, and she's listening, is a dear friend of mine, and she's a beautiful Palestinian woman. And we've become friends over the years, and she was the one that called me and said, Patricia, you must read this book, The Faith Club. And then I got it, and I said, okay, now I'm going to see if I can get these wonderful women on my program. So it's it's been really interesting. And the whole Faith Club for me works because as a Jew and really a cultural Jew in a lot of ways with a Palestinian friend, I also in my community, there is a synagogue 30 miles away, so I go on Sundays to a church called Unity Church, which is Christian, but it's more of a um, positive thinking, but it is, it is also non-sectarian, but it's wonderful. And I have learned a lot about Christianity, but also have bonded with my religion even more. So it's very interesting, and I just want to say to folks, and if I sound prejudiced, well, I may be, that I think this is a very important book, and I think it's very important work, because underneath all of these beliefs, and a lot of them are unfounded, and a lot of them are prejudices that we've had for thousands of years, underneath that we are all people. And if we can bond as people and love each other under that as brothers and sisters, our world will be a much better and healthier and happier place. Okay. Amen. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things that... I wanted to talk about here were some of the issues, and I have to tell you, I read the article or I saw the piece from USA Today, and they asked three questions that were very provocative, and I would love to get your comments on them. The first one is, are Christians smug in their majority power? The second one is, are Jews arrogant about Israel? And the third one is, are true Muslim women suppressed? So I think we'll start. I'll let either of you answer. Are Christians smug in their majority power? Suzanne. <laughs> you should ask the others. <laughs> All right. Well, Suzanne. I mean, Rania and Priscilla. Um, oh. <laughs> We're not quite to take this one. Usually we're sort of like jumping in. This one's a tough one, Patricia, as tough as they get. I want to say that... Um, you know, perhaps not because of the smugness, but the comfort of being a majority. Sometimes yes. we'll have you, uh, because I, I would, if I were living in a, in, a, in a country that was, for the most part, Muslim or Jewish or Buddhist, um, I'm not then um, required to, to go on this self-searching journey. I live, my neighbors are the same. Um, I have my established religious house that my grandfather, my great-great-grandmother and beyond have all been going to. So I think... Being minorities and certainly being a newer immigrant to America um, carries the, 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 those conditions carry with them a certain uh, desire to question, to pursue, well, and to critically think, which perhaps well, the majority and, doesn't have. Yeah, and particularly for you, Rania, because you are Palestinian, but were not brought up in Palestine, right? That's you were brought right. up in, in Kuwait. That right. I like. I like to say that when I was uh, growing up, in fact, uh, the same age my daughter is uh, right now, at eleven or so. I, I was so uh, myself insecure about my identity, and you know, in a time when when you are a vulnerable teenager, the worst question you could ask me was, "Where are you from?" It was very, very difficult because I never belonged. I never had a sense of security. I never, I never felt like I was part of a larger community. I, we were always other and outsiders. Mm. So, yes. Priscilla, did you ever feel that way being Jewish, that you were an outsider? Well, you know, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and it was clear there pretty much that, you know, the Christians had been there longer, and I wouldn't say that they were smug, but they were very well established. Mm -hmm. And there certainly was a um, thriving Jewish community, but, um, you know, in in our conversations about anti-Semitism and how I grew up and what might have contributed to some of my um, feelings when we had, as we call it, the crucifixion crisis, I said it wasn't particularly anti-Semitism, but it was this sort of um, establishment. You know, there were certain clubs that Christians belonged to that you just knew as a Jewish person you were not going to be admitted to. 
So it was sort of a social. Um, yeah. Um, it was it was more social than it was um, necessarily religious. I would say. Okay. I want right, to Susan, talk. This is Suzanne. I'm going to. I, I want to ask you as yeah. you're listening to this as yeah. a Christian woman, how do you feel about that? About the smugness and being in the majority. Um, well, I think maybe there are some people who are smug, but I think it's more it comes out of um, a naivete, actually, that happens when you don't have the opportunity to um, have conversations, to meet, to go to school, to spend so much time with people who are of other faiths than you. Um, I mean, we all seek out people who are like us for friendships and um, for marriage and things like that. Um, so as I pointed out in the book, I'm in New York, but I married a ex-Catholic from the Midwest. Rania married a Muslim from the Middle East, and Priscilla married a Jew from the Northeast. So we all end up with people who are like us. Um, but when you are in the majority, you don't learn as much about the other because there are plenty of people like you. Very true. Very good. Okay, second question. Mm-hmm. Are Jews arrogant about Israel? And um Okay, Rania. Ay, ay, ay. All right. That was um, point of view. Do I get rewarded for, for starting these off? Okay. Um, I think, what was the, what was the word, what, what were the words you uh, used, the, the question? Are, and this is a USA Today question, not yes. Patricia's question. <laughs> are Jews arrogant about Israel? Are Jews arrogant about Israel? Israel. I think that there... I would say, I don't know if arrogance is the word I would use, but I, I, I would say that there is, for me, as a Palestinian, a sense that um, a, a fundamental part of a Jewish identity is very much connected with the Israeli state. And as such, then, therefore, it has become mantra or almost a religious experience not to question or critique it. And if one were to, then it becomes a, a form of anti-Semitism. That I have a problem with because all states, are vulnerable to actions that are and can be um, perhaps not just, and therefore one must be able to critique states um, equally. Not e- equally. I'm, I'm not saying single out a Jewish state. I mean, I, I am just as much of a critic uh, of, uh, of uh, European states, of uh, Arabian states, or Asian states. Um, but that being that being the premise, I think that's that's the problem. Okay, Suzanne, what's your feeling about that? Or do you think Jews are arrogant about Israel? Um, maybe not arrogant as much as possessive of not only the land, I suppose, but the story of the history of Israel. And I think they're opening up in a way to see the other side. It's interesting that in Israel this summer um, the textbooks are being rewritten to show the Palestinian um, side of the the creation of Israel, mm-hmm. um, what the Palestinians know as the Nakba. Um, so I think hopefully um, they'll, uh, they eventually will come to understand both sides instead of feeling so, um, I guess, uh, belligerently um, possessive of their historical okay. truth, as they would call and it. And Priscilla, our, our Jewish author, um, what is your feeling when you, hear, when you hear that about Jews being arrogant about Israel? Um, I would say the question for me after my whole experience would be more, are Jews objective about Israel? Mm-hmm. Um, can Jews put aside whatever feelings they have, for example, what I, feelings that I had for the, about the Holocaust and about Israel as a haven, a safe haven for Jews fleeing the Holocaust? Um, can they put aside um, things that they might have been taught by um teachers or religious leaders, um, can they take in new information as they learn it, as I did from Rania about her family's history? Um, can, can, can they be objective when they look at Israel as a country? And that, I think, is going to be the challenge for Jews, um, you know, from, from now on. And is going to determine a lot of um, what, what happens, um, certainly within the politics of Israel, I mean, it's, you know, being an American Jew, the other thing that um, came up was, you know, what is an American Jew's responsibility versus an Israeli's responsibility? Mm-hmm. They're living it on the ground. It's a little presumptuous for me to step in and, and you know, I, I don't know much about Israeli politics except, you know, probably as much as the average American Jew does. But what kind of moral responsibility do I have to be um, sometimes critical of Israel? 
Mm-hmm. And of a recognition that there is another narrative out there, a Palestinian narrative, which is just as dear and just as real and just as true for an entire people, millions of them. And so that that is a big, big moment, big we're moment talk of growth. About that after the break, yeah. we're going to go to break. But the third question, that again, these are USA Today questions, and they're provocative, but I think they're they're great for discussion. <laughs> the third question: Are true Muslim are true Muslim women suppressed? And so. Think about that, and, and we're going to talk about that after the break. My guests are the three authors of The Faith Club, a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, three women's search for understanding. There are faith clubs that have started all over this country because of this book. And if you'd like to start a faith club and you'd like to have a reading group guide, log on to thefaithclub.com. I highly recommend this book. It's a wonderful gateway and doorway to peace and understanding and love and forgiveness. Globally, so folks, um, you're listening to Positive Living. If you want to call in after the break, you can at eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. If you are listening on September tenth on Monday, two thousand seven, and you're listening to Positive Living, I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women. Men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women in Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. The Financial Truth with Carla Cargill will bring a passionate, spirit-filled voice to talk radio, which will empower you to unleash your wealth within. Listen live every Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Central Time on the Voice America Network as Carla shares common-sense wealth-building principles with a twist of humor that will take you from living paycheck to paycheck to living a life of more than enough. Join Carla every Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and discover your money personality and learn the Ten Commandments to Wealthy Living. You will no longer be held captive by financial bondage. Let Carla Cargill teach you the financial truth, and the truth will set you free. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. VoiceAmerica.com Hi everyone, we are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. And again, I have a wonderful program on for you today. You can give us a call at 866-472-5788. We are on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and all of my shows are archived on VoiceAmerica.com and RaskinResources.com. My guests are the three authors of The Faith Club, a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, three women's search for understanding. My guests are Suzanne Oliver, Priscilla Warner, 
and Rania Idlibi. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Can you all hear, all of you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're taking roll call. All right, now. I want to do that third question that, as I said to everybody, came from USA Today. It did not come from me, but it's, <laughs> these are provocative questions, but they're really good. And your answers are so thought-provoking, all of your answers, which speak to, uh, to understanding every one of your answers. Okay, third question. Are true Muslim women suppressed? Um, let's start with Suzanne. Not Suzanne. No, yeah. I'm sorry, Priscilla, from the Jewish perspective. <laughs> Oh, Suzanne got off the hook, I see. Um, I would say uh, that before this experience, I, um, the, what I knew, I knew from my readings. Um, and now, after um, A, meeting Rania, learning as much as I have about Muslim women through her, and from traveling around the country and meeting Muslim women, um, I think that that is a blanket statement. I think that um, sometimes, as Rania points out, some some certain things such as the veil or cultural, what might look like suppression to someone from another culture is actually something that um, people within that own culture are comfortable with. Clearly the most um, dramatic stories get told and then become stereotypes. Um, but well, hasn't the media focus really been on the fundamentalist side of Islam? Can I, um, can I just, I, I, I'm, I'm dying to jump in here. I actually object to the very formulation of are true Muslim women suppressed. This is, it, it, the question in itself has the assumption and the stereotype that to be a true Muslim, um, you must be of some sort, you know, the truth lies in the suppression or somehow. So I, I object to that. I, I would actually say that I myself perhaps was vulnerable to the idea that there was something as a true Muslim and a non-true Muslim. But the truth is that uh, in Islam there is diversity of worship as there is within Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, or Jews, or in the many denominations of Christianity. So yes, there are some women who choose to wear veil, but just as equally there are some women who do not. And the veil is never one thing. Some veils are radical, politicized veils. Some veils are just a, a modest veil. Some uh, are traditional. Some are cultural. So um, yes, it's important to distinguish and to understand the nuances between those positions. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that, Rania. Suzanne, from a Christian point of view, what was your feeling before and after? Well, I really walked into the conversation curious about how Rania reconciled her modern American life with the religion of Islam. I thought of Islam as a religion that suppressed women, um, a religion of mistreated women, and um, wondered how she was able to get away without wearing the veil um, and uh, with drinking alcohol. And um, when I passed by the... There's a mosque on 96th Street in Manhattan that I often drive by, and on Friday afternoons I see it filled with men. And asked Ronnie, where are all the women? How can you belong to this religion that seems to treat women in such a negative um, fashion? But she definitely opened my eyes to the diversity that exists within Islam and um, was able to draw lots of parallels with uh, very uh, strict fundamentalist Christianity where there are women who... Um, are pledged to follow their men and serve their men and uh, don't have jobs and things like that in, in um, fundamentalist Christianity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, an- another question that I'd like to bring up, which is around uh, Christianity, and I- I'd like to state this. One of the questions in my material is, you know, is the crucifixion, sto- crucifixion story anti-Semitic? And, of course, you know, that raises a lot of hairs for all of us. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about the movie The Passion, because when it came, and as I said, I, I, I'm living in a community that's predominantly Christian and very strong, often Pentecostal and very Baptist, and not as many Catholic folks as there are um, other denominations of Christianity. But I did not see The Passion. I, I chose not to see it because the violence was... I'd heard enough that I thought it would bother me. But what I read really fascinated me, and I love the three of your opinion on this. That is that I, I read a lot of criteria. My dad, who was a, a, a very strong Jew, sent me lots of articles, and a lot of them talked from Jews who felt that it was a very anti-Semitic movie and that it really talked about the Jews killing Christ. But then here I talked to different uh, Christians here, about this movie, and I asked them what they thought. And most of the Christians did not feel this was anti-Semitic. 
So I would really like to get your opinions about that and sort of where we can bridge that understanding of peace. Um, let's see. Who would like to jump in and address this first? I will, Suzanne. Suzanne. Well, it definitely is. Well, first of all, in the New Testament, there are four different tellings of the crucifixion. And uh, there, in Matthew, certainly sounds more um, anti-Semitic than some of the others. Um, there, the a later one, some say to, about the Jews saying, "His blood be upon us and his children." So, I guess just to recognize that there is fodder in the New Testament for um, people to make a anti-Jewish interpretation. I think most Christians do not. As I told um, Priscilla when we do the um, Passion story on um, Palm Sunday at church, and we use these same words, I really relate to all people who might have been present or taken place in that crucifixion. Um, So I think that most most Christians probably are not anti-Semitic, but it is important for Christians to recognize how those words sound to Jewish ears Mm -hmm. and to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that uh, they were written and to understand the context in which they, they probably were written at a time when the Christian church was really breaking off from the Jews because originally the Christians were going to Sabbath on Saturday and and practicing their Jesus following who they Jesus was a Jew and they were still Jews and there was a time that they were then told look you have to leave go do your own thing you're too different and so there were there was some anger and that may have gotten interpreted in into the gospels yeah uh Suzanne is a Jew your feelings about this Priscilla, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I keep doing this. Sorry, Priscilla. Okay. I can be a Jew. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, we actually talked about uh, when we were we were meeting when the movie came out, and we talked about going to see it. And then <clears throat> I think we all uh, I, I had the same feeling you do, which I, I read about it, I saw snippets of it, and I it was just more violent. And I'm, I, I, you know, I didn't go see um, what was his other movie, uh, Braveheart. You know, it was yeah. just too violent. I was I don't know I. I made a decision not to see it. There wasn't any strong uh, reason why I didn't. But what interested me, and I, we talked about it, was that this, as, a, as an artist, I've been an artist all my life, I mean, this is one man's interpretation of a story that has been t- told and retold many, many times, as Suzanne pointed out. Um, the, you know, Mel Gibson, Gibson is a creative artist, and he, this is his interpretation. This is one man's interpretation. If 20 other directors had made the movie, it would have come out 20 different ways. Um, I, don't need, I don't need or want to get into whatever happened to Mel Gibson later on, you know, on a highway in <laughs> California and, you know, the millions of words that were written about that. But to me, I, I'm always interested in the psychological, um, I'm interested in people and what makes them tick. So I found it as much, um, you know, interesting about Mel Gibson and, and um, his take and, what might be in his heart, and you know what? I don't know what's in his heart, mind, or her soul. Ronya, your feelings about this as, as a Muslim woman? Oh, goodness, I thought you were going to leave me out of this one. <laughs> I didn't say out of it in the book, so now this is really, I have to think on my feet, as they say. I hope I got that expression right. Um, I, you know, I feel that uh, it probably is very much... Um, for me, a lesson in in language and an awareness, and I think that um, I can see how both sides. Uh, you know, I can see how your Christian friends may have felt like you know this is our right as Christians to tell this story, and that the, for, the, for the most part, as uh, Priscilla pointed out, that this may have been, this is just an individual's point of view, and hopefully um, that we can, as a people, as Americans, distinguish that you know this is his artistic freedom to say what he needs to say. It's, I would like to draw parallels between that and sort of the cartoon issue, which, um, if you will, you know, the one that happened in in in, in Denmark, I think, where. You know, a lot of people, had it just been one person's freedom of expression and um, it was left at that, then I don't think there would have been the fuss. Uh, I think most Muslims understand that, okay, that's an individual point of view and it may hurt, it may offend, it may be anti-Muslim and so on and so forth. But when it was taken up as um, and made into and galvanized into position of the anti-European versus the anti-Muslim and a clash of civilization, then it started feeling like it was, um, you know, something that 
all Muslims were being offended by because it was no longer about an individual editor's choice, but rather all of Europe and whole civilization. And we were yesterday part of a unity walk, and something we were introduced to, which really holds true to, to me, is instead of talking about clashes of civilization, let's talk about a dialogue of civilizations. And, and I think that's so much better. Uh, most people are not out to get or hurt, um, hopefully, at the end of the day. I may just digress, so I'll stop. Um, all right, that's all right. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more to these these lovely, thoughtful, insightful women, uh, the authors of the Faith Club, a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, three women search for understanding. My guest is Suzanne Oliver, Priscilla Warner, and Rania Idlibi. And you can log on to their website, which is thefaithclub.com. And they're encouraging, and it says it, it talks about it in the book as well as on the website, encouraging all of us to create our own faith clubs. Um, very inspiring. And when we come back, I'm actually going to read from the book some of the closing thoughts of these three women about hope, about hope for all of us in our respective religions and also in the world. So you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, broadcast each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. In the ever-changing world of real estate, Mark Heller and Brian Church bring to Internet Talk Radio all the latest information, trends, and changes in the real estate market. And these guys pull no punches. That's Real Estate Talk with Mark Heller and Brian Church every Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. So honored uh, to be here today with these, these great women who have written the book, The Faith Club, A Muslim, A Christian, A Jew, Three Women, Search for Understanding. My guest is Suzanne Oliver, Priscilla Warner, and Rania Idlibi. And we have a caller on the air, and actually this is the wonderful woman that I was talking about who uh, led me to the book. Her name is Soraya. Thanks for calling, Soraya. Hi, Patricia. Hi. Hi, Hi ladies. Hello. Oh, hi. What an honor to speak to you. Uh, I really enjoyed your book, uh, your book, and your, all of your views. And just wanted to say to Rania that I felt as if I was the one who was writing the book after nine eleven. You don't know uh, how much that means to me. I'm 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 very um, honored, and and um, I I really will take that with me long and far because I I was hoping that I would be a voice for. Palestinians, Muslims, and beyond, and humanity. So I'm, I'm very happy that you share that with me. And um, just like, you know, I knew that your words were, it's like were taken out of my mouth. And what happened 9-11, uh, 9-12, I was invited to go to a book club, to be part of this book club with very <laughs> Christian women. And it's like I looked at myself, do I dare to go, you know, or mm-hmm. do I, what do I do? But I did get dressed and went to the meeting, and everybody was nice, and I, I felt like I had nothing to do with 9-11. You know, this is so foreign to me that any God-loving 
person could do anything like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next meeting, I said, could I speak to the club about Islam? Just a little bit of what I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a trained person. And so everything went well, and I just want to say thank you, all of you, three ladies, for writing that book. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very Patricia, much. Patricia, good sharing job. That. <laughs> thank you thank for giving you for it to Pat- Patricia also. Thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you, thank Patricia. You. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for calling Bye-bye. in. Bye-bye. Um, bye-bye. What I would like to do is I would like to read um, these three pieces here that really inspired me. And... Uh, as long as I haven't lost my place. No, I don't think I have. Um, these, were, these were words that came from each of you at the end of the book about where you, where you were. And I think they're beautiful, and I want to share them. So I'm going to start. It's, uh, I think, the last chapter in the book, which is called From Here to Eternity. And, Priscilla, this is what you said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But you said here, um, I know that Rania will continue to teach me about the world through her eyes and the filter of her family's experience and heritage. My worldview is bigger than I ever thought it could be, thanks to her. What binds us as friends goes beyond borders, politics, or religion. What concerns us is that we treat each other with love, respect, and trust. And then you talk about a funeral that you attended of a dear friend and that the rabbi read a poem that spoke to you and that that's what you want to leave behind you at the end of the day. So I'm going to read most of this. When I die, give what's left of me away to children and old men that want to die. And if you need to cry, cry for your brother walking the street beside you. And when you need me, put your arms around anyone and give them what you need to give to me. I want to leave you something, something better than words or sounds. Look for me in the people I've known or loved. And if you cannot give me away, or at least live on in, have me live on in your eyes and not on your mind. You can love me most by letting hands touch hands, by letting bodies touch body, and by letting go of children that need to be free. Love doesn't lie. People do. So when all that's left of me is love, give me away. Oh, so beautiful. Oh, all right. Now I want to read Suzanne, what you write. Though I've been changed by my faith club experience, I still participate in my Episcopal church because I love the community and the intellectual and spiritual stimulation it provides. I guess at this point you could call me an Episcopalian with a universalist streak, but I know that label just marks one dot on the continuum of my faith journey. One of the most important things I've learned from my faith club is not to judge anyone else's faith because everyone, from my seven-year-old son who insists there's no God to the most erudite priest, is on a journey toward God, and every dot on that journey is sacred. I still get spiritual nourishment and stimulation from my, my faith club soulmates as we continue to meet to discuss religion in our own lives. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, Rania, let me read yours. I was full of optimism when I left the conference that night as I contemplated the opportunity that American Muslims have to affirm our voice and influence our destiny. We are privileged to be potential pioneers of change, yet we recognize this can also be a burden. So if we do not succeed, 7 million Muslim Americans may continue to feel defranchised and their religious legacy may be a burden to their children. As a mother, I have to consider this issue for my own children. So now I recognize there are many privileges that a Muslim religious identity can afford them. And as Muslims, we need to access the full circle, the story of Moses, which is the story of freedom, the story of Jesus, which is the story of love, and the story of Mohammed, which is the story of equality and the universal God. I look forward to a day when we speak of the great American Judeo-Christian Muslim heritage. Mm -hmm. Wow, ladies. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They're beautiful. And what I'd like to do now is have closing thoughts from each of you. So I'm going to start with Suzanne, our Christian contributor. What are your closing thoughts for our listeners on the Faith Club? What do you want to leave them with? Um, I want to, I guess, leave people with the um, to encourage them to get to know, to reach out to someone who's different from they are, um, to encourage them. Uh, to listen before they insist that they know the right path and um, to tell you that um, we can 
enliven our own faiths by learning from those of other faiths. And if you have shrugged off your faith, uh, we need the moderates really to speak out in America, um, the moderate Christians to speak out and and reclaim the Christianity from uh, people who may have a more literalistic and fundamentalist approach. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, Priscilla, our Jewish Uh, author. Our Jewish uh, previously paralyzed by fear author. I would like people to have hope because I live with an enormous amount of hope now. I say in the book it takes more courage to be a dreamer than a cynic. We live in a really cynical time. Um, People, I think, have embraced this book because it's, um, it's tough and we go to the tough places. But we also, I think, soar above those tough places because, um, you know, our underpinnings come from the uh, qualities that everyone is looking for someone else in life, love, respect, and mutual understanding, and mm-hmm. out there. Thank you very much. Beautifully said, Priscilla. Wanya, our Islam mm-hmm. contributor, Muslim contributor. Yes. Um, just a last uh, thought. I would say that uh, let us as Americans celebrate the diversity of our American heritage. Let us know that though we may be different in our cultural, religious traditions and our houses of worship and the color of our skin, at the end of the day, we stand united under one God. We stand united in our values, in our morals. And uh, um, it's certainly, uh, I, we at the Faith Club, we're not for editing our language, but for enlightening our thoughts. And that can only happen when you ask yourself the tough questions and you do go to sometimes uncomfortable places, but uh, the rewards are immense. Thank you so much for being on the program, all of you. It was really a great honor to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, stay on the line if you can. Thank you so much. Next week, my guests are Janet Hastings and Gail Smith, co-authors of The Best Journeys Have No Destinations. They will share experiences of visions and dreams and clues from old books and ancient knowledge, showing us that we have infinite possibilities available to us. Folks, remember that Positive Living is on Voice America on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. All shows are archived on my site, raskinresources.com, and on the Voice America site, voiceamerica.com. You can log on to my website, raskinresources.com, and you can uh, look at my other radio shows and also my book. And remember, as I say each week, stay healthy, stay happy, know and, and love the support, and really look for support around you, and know that you can make your dreams come true, and work for a world of peace and love and understanding, because we see it here with, with our interview today with these three women from the Faith Club, and we can all have our own Faith Club. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. Have a great day. been listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to raskinresources.com and tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on voiceamerica.com.